As always, it's uh, great to be here with you this morning as we continue in this series on James we're calling Faith Works. And this morning, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to obtain godly wisdom? How many of you, uh, don't raise your hand, I'll raise it for all of us, need a little more wisdom. Uh, we're going to be looking at that. James teaches us about that. And what he does is sort of interesting. He ties what we looked at last week with this week by really one word or one word used in in, in different tenses, uh, verse 5 and verse 4. In, in verse 4, we find the word lacking, and in verse 5, we find the word lack. And so there's this, this combination that God doesn't want us to lack in anything. He doesn't want us to, to lack in, in this area called wisdom that we're going to look at this morning. Now, we summarized last week's teaching with these words. When we believers allow steadfastness to have its perfect work in our lives, we grow to become more and more like Jesus. Being perfected, nurturing, growing onward to completion, perfect in every way, lacking in nothing, deficient in nothing, wanting nothing. And, and so God allows us to grow in Christ when we, when we place our faith in him. And he takes us to a place to where we're, we're not lacking. And that lacking is more importantly in our soul. The deepest part of who we are. That he fills us, that he uses us. And, and so one of the needs that, that all of us sometimes lack, uh, at least I do, I'll speak for myself as wisdom. It's easy to sort of confuse knowledge with wisdom, and so I want to start by clarifying that a little bit, because you, you can't have wisdom without knowledge, but you can have knowledge without wisdom. Knowledge. Knowledge is knowing the truth about something. So what then is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability, uh, the ability and utilization of that knowledge in a beneficial way. Knowledge is knowing something Wisdom is being able to take that knowledge and apply it to our lives. And wisdom can come in many ways. It can come through experience. My guess is all of us have learned the experiential wisdom of touching a hot stove. You touched it and you went, that wasn't good. That hurt. And you learned how to work around a stove without burning yourself. That's wisdom. The knowledge is that stove is hot. You shouldn't touch it. The wisdom is, how do I then work around the stove without it burning me? And so that's, that's a real reality. And, and as we go through life and experience life, we have many, many hot stove experiences. Many times through just, just living life where we have this understanding of this is knowledge, this is what I'm getting out of this, but here's wisdom. This is how I apply it to the way I'm going to live. Wisdom looks a little different. Let's, for instance, look at biblical wisdom. We may say to someone, wow, he knows the Bible really well. In other words, they can quote the verses, they can do those things. And this describes the knowledge about the Bible. But here's the key. If he knows how to use the Bible knowledge to form a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview, an understanding of the world from the Bible, and live Christ-like through the maze of life that we all live through, then he's wise. He has biblical wisdom. That's why anytime I, I talk about uh, studying God's word, I say study and apply. It's the study and application that's so important. It's not just knowing it, it's, it's, it's living it, allowing the word of God to be a part of us. And in fact, you've heard, probably heard me say this before if you've been around here. God uses the word of God we know, not the word of God we don't know in our life. And, and so as we get into God's word, it's the spirit who gives us wisdom so we can apply these things to our life. Now, the Apostle Paul, he, he contrasts God's wisdom with men's wisdom in the first two chapters of, of 1 Corinthians, and, I, and particularly 1 Corinthians one twenty five. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I've often relied on that as I've come to the Lord and asked for wisdom and strength to say, Lord, I've realized that, that you're way wiser than I'll ever be, way, way stronger than I'll ever be. I need you. And the great news that we're finding through the book of James is that he doesn't want us to lack in anything, so his strength and his wisdom is accessible to us. James and Paul agree on this. God desires us to enjoy more than experiential wisdom. He really offers us his godly wisdom. And so let's explore together James 1, 5 to 11, where, where James talks about obtaining godly wisdom. We're going to start in the first two verses there, 5 and 6. And he writes this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So James, of course, is writing here about obtaining godly wisdom. And he says, first of all, and it's a very simple point, you should ask for wisdom. Think about it. If you don't have wisdom, you should ask for wisdom. And the instruction is very clear. If you need wisdom, ask God. Each and every day, we have the availability as followers of Christ to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. Give me your wisdom. When we're faced with situations in life where we're not sure what to do, we have this amazing ability to go to God and say, God, give me the wisdom that I need. Help me have your wisdom here. We, we can choose to walk in our limited human understanding, in other words, or we can choose to walk in God's understanding of things. And to obtain godly wisdom, first, before we even ask, we have to admit we need it. We need it. To be able to say, Lord, we need wisdom, then to come and ask for it. The promise is clear. If we ask God for wisdom, we will receive it. And who are we receiving it from? Well, you go, of course, it's the Lord. But who is the Lord? He's generous. In fact, God's very character is to give. If we ever doubt that God is a giving God, all we need to do is look to the cross. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God is the giver. He's a generous God. If we ever doubt his love, we look to the cross. If we ever doubt his generosity, we look to the cross. He gave everything for us. So we should never question God's generosity or make him anything other than a generous God. If we need wisdom, all we need to do is ask. And so verse 5 really talks about God's unquestionable sincerity in offering us wisdom. What does James do in verse 6? He questions our sincerity a bit. How should we do it? We should ask, but how should we do it? We should ask in faith without doubting. We must believe that God is capable of giving us wisdom. We must believe that if we request it, he will give it to us. So James offers us this practical understanding of faith. When we look at it, if we were to look at what James is saying about faith here, we, we could conclude this. Faith is a solid certainty of that which we hope based upon the reality and solid existence that he has, uh, that he has been tested and it is essential. In other words, he gives us what we need. He has the ability to do that. Faith is believing that God has what we need. He has the ability to give it to us. So as we read James and the Bible as a whole, we understand that it's, it's really inconceivable. Inconceivable for a person to place their faith in Christ and not literally follow him, be changed by him, and be on mission with him. Therefore, we're saved by faith alone, but, but that faith is never alone. It has fruit. So James says, if, you, if you're asking God for wisdom, you should not doubt. Now, what doubt is he, is he referring to here? What, what is he exactly talking about when he says doubt? 
Because I don't know about you, but there's times where doubt is in my life. It doesn't make me less a follower of Christ. It just shows the, the, the frail part of my humanness that's still being restored by Christ. But the doubting that James refers to here is very specific. It's really a doubting that comes from hedging our bets. Hedging our bets with God. It's, it's, it's like we have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. And, and so it's not just we're obtaining godly wisdom and strength. We're, we're making sure we have other things in case God doesn't come through for us. Now, I know none of us have ever done that. I know none of us have ever thought, hmm, I've tried all these things. Maybe I should pray. And this is what James is talking about here. The doubting James refers to is not mere, merely whether or not God will answer our request, but rather or not we really desire God to give us wisdom at all. Because here's the reality. If we're asking God for wisdom and then thinking, well, I'll hear what he says and I'll decide whether I want to do it, he's not going to give it to you. That's the doubting that's being spoken of here. But if you're asking, if you're saying, I need wisdom, Lord, I want your wisdom, and I want, to, I want the strength to walk in that wisdom, he grants it every single time. So James shares two clear, really, examples of what should not, we should not do. And so look at verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, un, un, unstable in all his ways. So James offers us a faith versus doubt scenario. And, and the first is this. Faith excludes doubt. Where faith exists, doubt cannot coexist in equal measure. When, 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 when faith rises, doubt diminishes. And so James presents us with this picture of a person who's sort of rising up and down with the, with the sea. And, and here's the point. The believer is not to go about life merely adrift. Isn't that what we did before we came to Jesus? And so the believer isn't to come through life uh, merely adrift, up and down, that one day and the next, but, but firmly standing on Christ. In fact, if a person's security is not found in Christ, they're not secure. And so there's a security we have in Christ. And so James says, you know, don't, don't be like a person tossed by the waves. Allow your security to be Christ. Let him be your firm foundation. The second example is this. Faith is not double-minded. No, in fact, James encourages the double-minded. We'll be looking at sometime down the road in James chapter 4 to purify your hearts. That's what he says to the, to the double-minded. Jesus spoke directly to the problem of being double-minded in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, first part of verse 24, uh, Jesus' words to us. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Of course, that's speaking to having our feet in, in two kingdoms, God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world, isn't it? And, and wondering why we have no peace. Wondering why we have no direction. And Jesus says, well, it's because you can't serve two masters. You've got to choose one or the other. A literal translation, this, this really hit home for me, of double-minded. A literal translation is double-souled. Your soul's sort of in two places. It's divided. And the Lord said, no, unify that thing. Focus on me. 
Being a believer is based on being single-minded. In fact, Christ was really clear about his followers. He says in Mark 8, 34, it's recorded for us. If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Single-minded devotion. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, he, he, he talks this way. He says, we must lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Not double-minded, not looking all over the place, but looking straight ahead. One of my favorite uh, Charlie Brown cartoons was Charlie Brown running a race. And if you know anything about Charlie Brown, he doesn't really win at anything. And at this particular time, I mean, he's way ahead. He's doing great. And he gets into his own mind. He's like, I can't believe I'm winning. I can't believe I'm winning. And before you know it, he just keeps running. And you're supposed to turn. And he doesn't turn. He just keeps going. And before he knows it, he looks around. He goes, I guess I lost again. <laughs> I know, it's so pitiful. But anyway, um, but I, I've been there. Have you been there? I mean, I think the reason we all go, oh, the Charlie Browns, because we're like, oh, I've been there. Where we get in our own mind. And what does the Hebrews writer says? It says, get rid of all the junk. Stay focused on Jesus. Let him direct your steps. You won't lose your way if you keep your eye on him. And, and so the problem James is addressing is not merely intellectual. It's really a spiritual challenge for us. We can't be double-minded and flourish as believers. But here's the good news. The promise for wisdom is a sure thing when we come to God admitting we need it and saying, Lord, give me the strength to, to live out of the wisdom that you share with me. Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He doesn't say some of the time. <laughs> Do you notice that? He says, ask, seek. You'll get, you'll find. The door will be open. Here's the bottom line. If we lack wisdom, we must recognize the need. We must ask God, who alone can, can supply his quality and quantity of wisdom, and we shall receive it. This is God's personal guarantee to us, his personal guarantee. Let me share an example of seeking wisdom from my life. I was serving in a church, and I went through this uh, really difficult situation. I was trying to determine how much to share, so I just wrote this sentence, and I'm going to read it. It consisted of betrayal, hatred, and abuse of power from some unhealthy leaders. That actually is an understatement. <laughs> it, was a, it was a tough situation. It really was. And so I prayed, God, what do you want me to do? And through some counsel from some leadership in our denomination, um, I resigned the church I loved. And, and, and there I was. I had two questions for the Lord, ask for wisdom. Lord, am I healthy enough to continue to lead? Wanted to make sure that if I wasn't, I didn't take unhealth into another situation. And so I asked that question. The second question I asked was, where then? If I'm healthy enough to leave, where should I serve? I asked God for wisdom, and the first prayer was answered by a previous church who had heard the situation I was going through and said, we would like to pay for you and Krista to go to this ministry called Sunscape, where you spend almost a week in the Colorado mountains. Right there they had me. And it, it, where they actually deal with uh, pastors and their spouses, uh, emotional and spiritual health. And so when I went there, they did a deep dive into the situation that we were coming from. And they asked a key question, what are you here for? And I said, I'm here to know am I healthy enough to continue to lead. I don't want to bring unhealth into another situation. Well, at the end of the week, 
As my wife and I were sitting together, we said, we want, they said, we want to tell you that you are healthy enough to lead. God has sustained you. He's been so good to you. In fact, they looked at uh, my wife and I, and they, and they said, we don't know how. <laughs> it's like a Christian retreat. I'm like, it was God, you know? you know, let me give you the answer. But they were just so amazed because of the situation we went through. In fact, I will say this, I, Chris, I'm, I'm going to say this, she's in the service right now. They looked at us and said, no one, is, no one who has come here has gone through a situation as difficult as you. Now, I, I'm not saying that to go, oh, you know, I, feel, I, I just say it to go, have you ever gone through a time where you go, this seems really bad, but I don't want to be a wimp? And then I realized I might be a wimp, but that was really bad, okay? And, and so, so it was really an affirming moment for us. Remember, the second prayer was, okay, if we're healthy enough, where are we going to serve? When the answer to that question came, when I candidated at a church, I fell in love with immediately. <laughs> I am a wimp. And, um, and was overwhelmingly welcomed by them. And that was eight years ago uh, that I came here. God answers the prayer. God answers the prayer. I'm so glad you didn't boo me right there. That would have been bad. Oh, no, no, okay. But God answers the prayer. He does. You ask for wisdom, he gives you the answer. He could have said, no, you're healthy enough to lead, and I could have said, well, I don't think I am. I would have missed out on the blessing. I, I could have not taken a step of faith and come here, and, and yet I did, and I, I could have missed out on the blessing. And yet I asked, and lo and behold, God is true to his word. He answered. And he, didn't just, he doesn't just do that for me, he promises to do it for all of his followers. Looking back over our passage, we discover that, that really James encourages us to look after our relationship with God. We need to examine our hearts. That godly wisdom is attained from a single-minded devotion to the Lord. And then he says, I, I want you to get this. So he gives us his own example. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, let the lowly boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What's being spoken of here? Well, if we go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. He uses the example there of God and money. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6.10, we read, For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. It's not evil. Money's not bad. I like money. I like being able to put gas in my truck. Like That's a good thing, especially these days when I can do it. It's a good thing. But what is being spoken of here is really Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's where do you put your trust? It's not that these things are bad. Things are good. And things can be given to us as, from God as a blessing. And we work hard for things. It's not that. It's, it's where's your focus? So is it God's kingdom or is it the things? And so he says to the poor, those who don't have much, he says, they're to understand that the riches, uh, that, the riches that they have come from their humble circumstances. And you go, well, how can that be? How are they to understand that? How are the, those who are poor to understand the, the riches of their humble circumstances? Because those who find themselves in humble circumstances or in a low position need to remember their high position within the kingdom of God. That's what James is saying. You may not feel like you have much, but you're a child of the king. Join heirs with Jesus. You can't get any more than that. Then he speaks to those who have much. And he says, those rich are to recognize the poverty of the riches. 
That seems like a weird use of words. You know, there's an old country song that says money can't buy you everything, but it can buy you a truck and can buy you a boat. You know what I mean? I'm saying, I mean, come on, let's be real this morning. But listen to what James defines here in James 1, 10 through 11. The rich are like a, the rich, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So what's really being spoken of here is really profound as he speaks to the person who has much. He says everything you have at some point will be gone. It's temporary. You could have a lot of money and it could be taken from you. You can have this prized possession, it could be stolen. And then he just gets down to the nitty gritty, one day you'll die and you can't take it with you. Now is he saying things are wrong? No. He's just saying if you put your trust in things, you can be easily disappointed. Nothing wrong. In fact, the scripture says if you have the gift of making money, make money and use it for God's glory. But he's saying don't put your trust in such things. See what's happening there? So if you don't have much, you're in this low position, remember your high position in Christ. If you have much, remember, don't put, your, don't put your, 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 your whole trust in the things you have. Put your trust in the fact you're a servant of God. It's interesting. Whether rich or poor or somewhere in between, we're to remember that we are the Lord's, and if we are genuine followers of Jesus, then he is Lord of our life, directing our steps, giving us wisdom. We're all in the same place. I like how J. Alec Mortier, he, he writes this about the life of, of, of walking in God's wisdom. He says, the wisdom God provides, the wisdom God gives provides, the ability to see things as they really are, to arrive at true definitions, to, to cease to live by what appears to be true and to live instead by what actually is the truth of the matter. I mean, James used this example of poor and wealth, but he could have used loneliness and companionship. He could have used work and unemployment, any of life's contrast. And said, no matter where you find yourself, place yourselves in the capable hands of God. Allow God to give you a worldview. I don't know if you've noticed. I guess you have. I'm guessing you have. We're living like crazyville right now in our culture. Like there are things that we have for, for, for thousands of years understood that is being questioned. It, it, it's so easy to allow the culture to get us to think, are we going crazy? Like are we the ones? And God says, no, if you're living by my wisdom, you're in secure ground. Don't envy the world. Pity them. Pray for them. Love them into the kingdom. But you be secure in me, whether you have much or little, whether you find yourself alone or with a great companion, wherever you find yourself, trust in me, he says. Therefore, it's only by wisdom, the wisdom of God, that we can navigate life journeying down the path that God has given us of knowing him and making him known. And so I simply... I want you to ponder this morning. Where do you find yourself with Jesus? Maybe you've asked a question. How can we navigate life? How can we, how can we navigate through this maze, if you will, of life? Where, where the world's changing definitions. 
Well, it's by living by God's wisdom. There are even churches out there. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. There's even churches out there. They claim to be churches, but they say this isn't true. Or they say something like this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a living document. It can be changed. It needs to be put into our culture. One of our, one of our values here is cultural relevancy. What is that? You know, if you remember the video the other week, it, it was, I don't know, but it, I know. Being culturally relevant is taking the timeless truth of God's word and communicating it in a way that an ever-changing culture can understand. We don't change God's word to suit the culture. We share God's word so the culture can find the freedom and power that is only offered us in Jesus Christ. And so James says, if you lack wisdom, do what? Ask. As I wonder this morning, do you, do you admit your need for wisdom? Are you asking for wisdom? Are you asking knowing that God wants to give it? More importantly, are you asking, saying, Lord, if you give it, I'll follow it. Give me the strength to follow it. It doesn't do any good to have biblical knowledge and not desire to walk in it. Amen, church? Come on now. And the good news is, is that the mercy of God is available to all of us. And that I'm not perfect in this asking and walking in it. There are times I fall short too. And God says what? Get back up. Let's walk together. That's good news. That's good news. I'm more like Charlie Brown than I like to admit. (laughs) But the good news is because Jesus in my life, he always has a way of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, you missed the turn. (laughs) Let's get on the right track together, shall we? Wherever you find yourself this morning, know that God is generous. He gave his son so that you can be in a relationship with him. And if you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, whether you're on our campus or watching online, maybe now in the quietness of your heart as I pray in just a moment, you'd say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. And wherever you find yourself on this journey, I'm asking for wisdom more and more every day. Lord, I need you. Direct my steps. Help me walk with you. Help me choose the right path. Maybe you're going through a situation that's incredibly difficult right now. You're not going through it alone. God is with you. He will give you what you need. In him, you are more than a conqueror. So let's pray. Let's thank God for meeting with us. Let's ask God to to do the work that only he can do in and through us. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I know I say that almost every week, but I mean it every day. I can't imagine um, trying to to navigate life without you. And I can't imagine trying to navigate life without being in your word and allowing your your living word to to speak truth to me. But God, I don't just want to know your word. I want to be consumed by it. I want the knowledge to become wisdom. As I seek to master your word, I literally want your word to master me, to direct my steps so that I can be filled with your love, filled with your power. On mission with Jesus, sharing the love and message of Christ with those around me. Lord, thank you that we don't do this alone, that you've called us to be in relationship with you. And I pray even now, if there's someone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, then their quietness in their own heart, I'd say, Lord, thank you for, for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I want to walk with you. 
Lord, thank you for the peace you so generously give, the strength you, you so generously give, the, the wisdom you so generously give. When we admit we need it, when we ask, and when we commit ourselves to walk in those things you give us, you're an amazing God. Thank you for your profound love. And Lord, as you've blessed our gathering, as we scatter in just a minute throughout this region, help us share your love and message in the places where we live, where we work, where we go to school and play for your glory. Amen.